A Day at the Summit, written by Matt Tipple. Please don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the channel. You can also support the channel and listen to my content ad-free for as little as a dollar by joining my Patreon. The link is down below in the description. Thank you, and happy listening. Disclaimer. The following audiobook contains adult themes and explores topics that some listeners may find sensitive or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 5 The Plagued Prodigy The pounding on the front door of the penthouse was like a jackhammer to his brain. Brian groaned and rolled over, pulling the pillow over his head in an attempt to block out the noise. But the pounding only grew louder, echoing through the cavernous apartment. Brian! His father's voice bellowed. Get your lazy ass out of bed and open this door! With a sigh, Brian dragged himself out of bed and stumbled towards the door. His head was throbbing and his mouth felt like it was full of cotton. He had no idea what time it was, but he knew that it was way too early for this kind of chaos. As he fumbled with the lock, he caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror by the door. His dark hair was a mess and there were dark circles under his bloodshot eyes. He looked like hell. Finally, the lock clicked and the door swung open. There stood his father, Theodore Thompson, a scowl on his face. God, you look like shit. We need to talk. Brian's father pushed past him, letting himself into the foyer. What the hell is going on here? Theodore demanded, gesturing towards the living room with disgust. The living room was a complete disaster, with empty bottles and overflowing ashtrays scattered across every surface. The coffee table was cluttered with drug paraphernalia, and there were several lines of white powder still visible on the glass. The stench of alcohol and smoke hung heavy in the air, making it nearly unbearable to be in the room. Passed out on the white leather sectional couch were two girls, their clothes disheveled and their makeup smeared. Oh my God, Brian muttered, covering his face with his hands. This is a nightmare. All right, ladies, the party's over, his father growled with disgust in his voice. They didn't even stir. Brian watched in horror as his father roughly grabbed the girls by the shoulders and physically removed them from the apartment. You can't treat my friends like that, Brian yelled as he watched his father haul the girls through the foyer. Friends? They're goddamned whores, Brian. You're such a fucking disappointment, Theodore spat as he slammed the door behind the girls. What haven't I given you? I bought this penthouse for you. I give you a sizable allowance every month. Oh, and 49% ownership in my fucking company. This is how you repay my generosity? By turning into a goddamn junkie? Brian winced at the word junkie. He knew he deserved it, but that didn't make it any easier to take. I'm sorry, Dad, Brian said, hanging his head in shame. I don't know what to say. Well, you can start by explaining how the hell $45 million disappeared from the research and development budget. Theodore Thompson growled his face turning red with anger. Brian mumbled, his head hanging low. I didn't think you'd find out about that. You stole $45 million and you didn't think I'd find out? How the hell did you think this was going to end, Brian? His father asked, his voice laced with disgust. Well, it was actually 50. It just looks like 45 because they were already about five under budget, Brian admitted, his voice shaking. But listen, I had some serious gambling debt with some pretty rough guys and I needed the money to pay it off. I thought I could just take a little bit at a time and no one would notice. But they showed up at my fucking door last week demanding payment. 
What was I supposed to do? Brian asked. Do you have any idea the kind of damage you've caused? And not just to the company. My entire reputation is on the line here. Did you know a stunt like this can land your sorry ass in prison? I'm sorry, Brian repeated, tears welling up in his eyes. I'll make it up to you. I'll go to rehab. I'll get clean. Just please don't turn me over to the feds. I should turn you in, his father said, pacing back and forth. But I can't afford to have my own son's criminal behavior splashed all over the headlines. We'd lose all of our investors. I'll just have to fix this like I've had to fix every other fucking problem you've caused since you were born. You're going to figure out a way to pay it back, every goddamned penny. And until you get clean, you're cut off. One more screw up and you're out. Do you fucking understand me? I understand, Brian said, relief setting in. You have a problem, Brian, and you need to deal with it. I'll put you in the best rehab in the country. I'll hire you the best therapists and counselors, but it's up to you to put in the work and turn your life around. If you can't do that, you're on your own. I'm done enabling you. With that, he stormed out of the apartment, slamming the door behind him, leaving Brian with his thoughts. Growing up, he had never wanted for anything. His father was a self-made billionaire who had built his company from the ground up. Brian had attended the best schools, drove the nicest cars, and had never had to lift a finger his entire life with a full staff at his beck and call. But despite all his privileges, Brian had always felt empty and unfulfilled. His father had always been distant and critical, never showing him any love or affection. He had always pushed Brian to be the best, but no matter how hard he tried, he always fell short. In the end, Brian had turned to drugs and partying as a way to numb the pain and emptiness he felt inside, but it had only served to drive him further and further from reaching his father's impossible expectations. Brian sat alone feeling drained and defeated. He couldn't believe that he had let this thing get so out of control, and he knew that he was going to have to face the consequences of his actions sooner or later. But for now, he just wanted to escape. He stumbled back to bed and reached for the bottle of pills that he kept on his nightstand. He popped a few, hoping that they would take the edge off and help him drift off into oblivion. As the pills started to kick in, Brian felt himself begin to relax. His eyes grew heavy, and he let out a sigh, grateful for the escape, no matter how short-lived it may be. For the second time today, Brian was woken up by the sound of someone knocking at the door. He stumbled out of bed, his head still foggy from the pills he had taken. Brian had no idea how much time had passed, but saw through the windows that the sun had set. He had slept the entire day away. As he made his way toward the door, he heard the knock again, more insistent this time. He groaned and fumbled with the lock, finally swinging the door open. There in the hallway stood Mark. Hey man, Mark said, a sheepish look on his face. I know it's late, but I was hoping you might be able to hook me up again. Brian sighed and stepped aside to let Mark in. After the day's events, he knew that he probably shouldn't be enabling this kid's drug problem but he also knew he wasn't in any position to lecture anyone at the moment. So what's new with you, man? Brian asked, collapsing onto the couch. How are things going with you and, uh, Jason? Mark snorted and took a seat next to Brian. Yeah, I totally lied to get out of there tonight, he admitted. Jason's getting a little too clingy for my taste, you know? 
I had to tell him my sister was coming into town just to get some fucking space. He's a good lay, though, so I guess it could be worse. Not to mention that roommate of his is nice to look at. I hear that, man. Don't you ever worry about the two of them when you aren't there? Brian asked. Hell no, Mark snickered. Jake's one of those douchey, hyper-masculine bro types. If Jason ever tried anything, he'd probably kick his ass. But honestly, man, I really wouldn't give a shit. Jason's just convenient. It's not a forever kind of thing, if you know what I mean. Brian laughed. Forever? What a joke. So what are you trying to get into tonight? He asked, lighting a joint. Just looking for a good time, Mark replied as he took a swig from an open whiskey bottle on the coffee table and took a hit of Brian's joint. Well, you know you can always find that here, Brian said with a wink. As long as you're willing to pay the piper. Yeah, I know, Mark said with a sigh. Blowjob like last time? It's whatever you want. Brian raised an eyebrow, considering his options. Whatever I want, huh? Well, I think I might have something in mind. Do tell, Mark said, his eyes glazing over as the marijuana started to take effect. A sly grin spread across Brian's face. I don't want to spoil the surprise. First, I think we should take something to really heighten the experience. You ever fuck around with LSD? No, I've never done it. I didn't know they still made that shit, Mark said. I've done mushrooms before, though, and it was all right. Well, I happen to get my hands on a few of these, Brian said, pulling out two small squares of paper from a drawer. It'll be a trip, man. Trust me, you're gonna love it. Mark's eyes lit up at the prospect of a new high, and he eagerly accepted the acid from Brian. They sat on the couch, waiting for the drug to take over. Brian picked up a remote off the table, and suddenly the room was filled with sound. Mark could feel the heavy bass lines in his bones. Before long, the room around him started to shift and swirl. The whole apartment seemed to stretch and contract, the walls pulsing with life. Brian and Mark laughed and giggled as they watched the patterns on the carpet twist and turn, all of their senses distorted and intensified by the acid. They were lost in their own little world, completely disconnected from reality. They were free to explore and experience things in a way that they never could while sober. They found themselves on the floor, watching the ceiling morph and change. As the curtains breathed in and out, they were filled with pure, unadulterated joy. For the first time in a long time, all sense of fear and doubt were gone. In its place was nothing but bliss. As they made their way back to the couch, the room seemed to spin around them in a dizzying vortex of color and sound. The art on the walls spoke a language that neither of them could understand, and the music coming from the speakers seemed to reach inside their brains and twist their thoughts. Brian and Mark found themselves in a place where the boundaries between reality and fantasy were blurred and meaningless. Time to pay up, Brian whispered. As he placed his hand on Mark's thigh, his fingertips exploded in a frenzy of fireworks. Take your clothes off and lay on the couch. With great difficulty, Mark did as he was told as Brian rummaged through drawers somewhere, coming back into the room with a handful of silky scarves. With a deft hand, he began to bind Mark's wrists and ankles, his fingers moving quickly as he secured each knot. As he worked, a sense of excitement built within Mark that he had never experienced before. He closed his eyes and let himself go, letting Brian have complete control over his body. They moved together in an insatiable, desperate dance, their bodies writhing and contorting as an orchestra of light and dark danced above their heads.
The air became thick with the smell of sweat and sex, and the sound of their labored breathing echoed through the room. They were two lost souls, searching for something that they knew they would never find, clinging to each other in a desperate attempt to find some kind of solace amidst the chaos. Choke me, Brian, Mark breathed. Please. Brian hesitated for a moment, but gave in to the request. With a wicked smile, Brian wrapped his hands around Mark's neck, his fingers finding the perfect spot to apply pressure. Mark's eyes widened as he felt the sudden strain on his windpipe, his body tensing as he struggled to catch his breath. But instead of panic, he felt a sense of release wash over him. He was completely in Brian's control, and for the first time in his life, he felt truly free. Harder, Mark begged as his eyes rolled back. Brian looked into his eyes and saw something that made his blood run cold. Mark's good looks had melted away. Right before his eyes, the face before him transformed into the face of his father. What the fuck? Brian muttered, his heart racing. Come on, Brian, Mark's voice, now his father's voice, urged him. Do it! He tightened his grip on Mark's throat, his vision starting to swim. Tears fell from his eyes. Brian felt a surge of hatred and shame flood through his body as his thumbs pressed down, harder still, on Mark's windpipe. Mark began to struggle underneath him. He bucked and thrashed, trying to get free from Brian's grip, but it was no use. As Mark made his final attempt for a gasp of air, Brian felt a burst of ecstasy surge through him as he climaxed all over Mark's body. Everything stopped. Time itself came to a halt as the realization of what had just transpired made itself clear. Brian looked down at Mark's defiled, motionless form. Bile rose in his throat. He collapsed to the floor, emptying his stomach. Brian crawled away from the living room, unable to share the same space with Mark any longer. He pulled himself up on an armchair. He couldn't breathe. He needed air. He had to get out of here. Brian's heart pounded in his chest as he lumbered towards the balcony, his feet feeling like lead. He pushed open the sliding glass door and stepped out into the cool night air, taking in deep breaths in an attempt to clear his head. Over the edge of the balcony, Brian saw flashes of blue in the distance that seemed to be coming from down below. He squeezed his eyes shut, tightly. Get your shit together, Brian, he muttered to himself. When he opened his eyes again, the blue lights were still there. He stood and walked to the edge of the balcony, looking down at the street below. The lights weren't coming from the hallucinogenic effect of the drugs. They were police lights. Brian's stomach dropped as he realized that his father must have turned him in. Panic rose within him. He couldn't believe his eyes. He never thought his father would go so far as to turn him over to the authorities. Brian's mind raced as he tried to figure out what to do. Should he try to run? Could he somehow talk his way out of this? As he stood there, frozen with fear, he next saw a figure being led towards the police car. He was shocked to see that it was Michael Miller, one of his father's top employees. Brian knew Michael personally. He had worked at Thompson Enterprises for as long as he could remember. What could this be about? Michael was as straight-laced as they came. What could he possibly have done to get himself into this situation? Then it hit him. Could this be his father's way of fixing it? Brian stood on the edge of the balcony, staring up at the moon. He felt like everything he touched turned to shit. He thought about Mark's lifeless body lying in his living room, a life that ended, in part, because of his own pervasive desires. 
He thought about his father, so disappointed in him and the mess he had made of his life. He thought about Michael Miller, innocent and being wrongfully imprisoned because of his actions as he just stood up here watching it happen. It was all too much to bear. I'm sorry, Dad, Brian whispered as tears streamed down his face. He closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and stepped off the edge of the balcony. In the split second of freefall, Brian felt a sense of peace. He smiled, knowing that his pain was finally ending. And then, with a sickening crunch, he hit the pavement below. A woman standing in front of the summit just a few feet away let out a blood-curdling scream. A Message from the Author The idea for this book came to me one evening as I was laying in bed. I thought about a building where the higher you went, the more money the residents had. By contrast, the lower you went, the more happy the residents seemed to be. The summit was meant to be a simple metaphor representing the idea that money doesn't buy happiness. It seemed easy enough, but as I put pen to paper the next day, things became increasingly more complex. Originally, the summit was meant to be 13 stories tall. As I began to create characters and ponder on what their lives were like, these people seemed to have lessons of their own to teach us. It was then that 13 stories became five, as to not dilute the message that each character was to convey. With my final five main characters in mind, I decided the best approach was to think about what a day for each person might look like. I wrote about five different days for five different people and quickly realized that with a few tweaks, each chapter should cover a day in the life of these five people. The same day, in fact. Now I was toying with the concept of how much one's life could change in a day. I had created a homeless woman who hadn't let life get her down and chose to see the bright side of things. I allowed a man to set his societal stereotypes aside and explore his sexuality. I was showing that with more money came more problems. For whatever reason, the more I wrote, the more the characters began to intertwine, their stories even overlapping in parts. Then, secondary characters came to mind. Some, just a small part of an interaction, others extremely important in the grand scheme of the plot. Sarah is a supreme example of the complexities of life and relationships. Isn't it ironic that what I would consider her happy place was also her biggest source of stress? Was she to blame for the problems in her marriage, or was it her husband's wandering eye? Maybe he's an asshole. Maybe he's lonely. Why does it have to be just one thing? I think most people would agree that it doesn't. I was now looking at all of our characters through each other's lenses. Did Mike Miller's personality have anything to do with the way that Theodore Thompson carried himself? Did he look up to this man and want to emulate him? Was the way he treated Maria, Jerry, and Jane just an act? A desperate attempt to control the world around him after losing control of everything 25 years prior? Maybe. Unfortunately, Brian was doomed from the start. I always knew the story would end this way, but in my original drafts, Brian wasn't the inhabitant of the fifth-floor penthouse. Originally, it was Theodore Thompson. The fifth chapter is the one instance where the main character and the secondary character switched places, and I think I stand by that choice. If you've read my last book, you'll know that addiction is something very personal to me, and I wanted to find a way to add it into this plot in some capacity. Brian allowed me to do that. As I write this, I wish that this experience wasn't so one-sided for me. 
I feel that the stories I have created are meant to be discussed and debated. There are so many meanings, both intentional and unintentional, in these pages. I find that with every read, I pick up on something I hadn't considered before. It's my hope that it does the same for you. This has been A Day at the Summit by Matt Tipple. I hope you enjoyed it. Next, I'll be starting the Chronicles of Narnia series with The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. I've never read this series or watched any of the movies, so I'm excited to get to work on it. If you're listening to this on Spotify, I've noticed that a lot of my episodes are randomly disappearing from the platform. Until I can figure out what's going on, you should be able to find the missing chapters on YouTube. You can also find all of my content on Patreon, which you can access for as little as a dollar. I want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to this story. It was my first attempt at writing and self-publishing, so I hope we can get some discussion going about it. As always, happy listening.